Good morning, Westridge. It's good to be back here with you today as we continue on in our series, Living All Out from Romans 12. Uh, the first week, Darren talked about uh, the transformed nature of this life. And then last week, Greg unpacked uh, what it means to live graciously. Today, we're going to look about living authentically. Now, I don't know if you saw this story or not, but earlier this year, an auctioneer was touring a person's house in northern France when he noticed a painting hanging on the wall. This is what the painting looks like. And this painting hung in this elderly woman's house for years on a wall between her living room and, and her kitchen. And the auctioneer saw it and noticed there was something special about it, something unique, something that was different. And he suggested that the lady bring it to the auction house for evaluation. Imagine her surprise when that painting that hung there for years was, was a genuine masterpiece attributed to the 13th century Italian painter, Cimabue. And when they first discussed the potential value of that painting, they thought it might be worth somewhere between four to six million dollars. Now, when the auction took place, the painting actually garnered a bid of 26.6 million dollars. Which most of the elderly lady gets most of that. Now, imagine if that auctioneer had not seen something different about that painting. It would still be hanging on that wall between her kitchen and her dining room. But there was something about the painting that stood out to him. It caused him to take a second look, and it changed everything. Now, how could they tell that painting was authentic? Uh, they, They looked at the style. They checked the brush strokes. They examined the paint. They tested the painting. I believe we can do the same thing when it comes to living authentically. Uh, That there are different, distinct characteristics that cause us to stand out, cause others to look at our lives, that mark this life. We're going to examine this truth as we look at two more verses from chapter 12 in Romans, verses 9 and 10. Well, it's good to be here with you, especially look at this living authentically. Let's look at what the verses say, and I I put this in from the the message. Here's what it says, love from the center of who you are, don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil, hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply, practice playing second fiddle. I love the phrasings of, the, of this paraphrase because they capture the distinctives of what it means to have, live an all-out life. And for those of us who choose to follow Jesus, there is a lifestyle that I think very distinctly differs from, those who, from what people normally see as they travel through life. And I see something like this. Now, when it comes to pumpkins, what do we usually think of? Isn't it something like this? I mean, you go to a pumpkin patch in, uh, in the fall, and uh, there are all kinds of orange pumpkins out there that look like this, varying sizes. Now, when, when we go to a pumpkin patch, I like distinct. Okay, so I, I brought a couple of different examples for you today. Uh, isn't that nice? Okay, uh, how about... Huh? Yeah, oh, yeah. Ah, okay. Now, check out this weird one. This pumpkin actually have other pumpkins growing out of the top of it. Okay? Now, our, our porch had one orange pumpkin on it, and the rest of the pumpkins 
Ah, they all look different because I like distinct. And I think that we who follow Jesus are called to live a distinct lifestyle, lifestyle that is different. And when we practice the distinctives found in these two verses, I think we're going to begin to live a life that not only stands out, but a life that causes others to wonder, could this Jesus thing be real? When I look at their life, they have something different. Could it be that Jesus could do that for me? So what are the distinctives? Well, I think the first thing I see here is that the distinctive that Paul talks about is that love, we're going to be loving with no strings attached to the love. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Rome. He begins by saying that the love we practice toward others needs to be genuine. And and the term he uses for genuineness is an interesting one because it's, it's a theater word. And it's a word that talks about describing actors in a play. And these actors would wear masks to cover their faces. Masks so that people wouldn't know what they were thinking, okay, what they were feeling, and who who was actually talking. And the word for mask is an interesting word because it's the word we get hypocrite from today. Hypocrite means wearing a mask. So Paul's saying that the love we display should not be a cover-up for unpure or impure motives or thoughts. My question, why do people wear masks? Now, I, I brought a couple of different masks with me today. And, uh, you know, we've seen these masks used in different places. Think about this mask here, okay? I caught for a year in college. I umpired then uh, for uh, quite a few years after that. And I wore this as I stood behind the catcher. And I'm very grateful I did because this guarded this pretty face, okay, right? And every now and then the ball would bounce off the bat and it would strike the mask, but it wouldn't strike. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, how about this one? Okay. Yeah, you see people wear these, right? You see them funny some videos, they jump out of the box and scares people. Why do people wear these types of masks? Well, it scares people, right? Okay, it scares people. And I don't know if you've ever gotten close to somebody and always there's a vulnerable moment. All of a sudden that person, rawr, you know, they, they scare you away. Well, it's because they're, they're afraid. Okay, they're afraid. Okay. I wear this when I hunt. Okay. And basically what this does, this covers up the face so the game can't see you. I can see the game, but they can't see me. They can't see my eyes. Why do people wear masks? Well, I think it's very simple. They're protecting. They're protecting themselves. They're protecting from what? From past things that have happened to them. But Paul says when it comes to loving others, we should not wear a mask. We should not wear a mask that covers up motives that are wrong, thoughts that are wrong, actions that are wrong. He says love doesn't just say the right words. It carries the right activity along with it. I've got, I've got a friend right now who's going through a, a very challenging divorce. And early on in the process, she asked me to pray for her. And when we met, she told me what was going on. She said, my, my husband has moved out of the house and has moved in with another lady who's his girlfriend. But here's what he told my friend. He said, I still love you, but I need to do this right now. Anna and I had a talk about what genuine love is. And I said, that's not it. That's not it. 
See, love that is genuine does not say, I will love you as long as, or I'll love you until something or someone better comes along. It doesn't love with conditions saying, I will love you if you do this or that or whatever. See, love with conditions, simply put, is masking something. Or the desire to control and manipulate, or or maybe it's a it's a it's something where this person that's the only type of background they came from, or that kind of love was demonstrated. That's the only kind of love the person knows, or it comes from a place of disfa- dissatisfaction. I don't know. I don't know what all the different things are. What I do know is that love that masks itself is not the love that Paul's talking about here. It's not the all-out type of love from the all-out type of love, life. See, love that is genuine looks to others first, not to self first. So I had the opportunity to practice this Monday to my bride. Did you all enjoy that blast of winter snow we got as much as I did? Oh, yeah. No, it wasn't fun at all, was it? I, I, take, I was taking my car in that morning to the shop for an oil change. It just started to snow in Bourbon A. Darla said, well, I need to check and see, make sure the snow, the, uh, the snow brush is in my car. I said, well, I'll do it for you. I think it's in the back of your vehicle. So I went, opened up her back, looked at it, uh, couldn't find it anywhere. I looked all around the garage, couldn't find it anywhere. I, I was running out of time because I was late for my appointment. So I just pulled, I went, opened up my trunk, pulled my brush out, threw it in her car, and then I took off. And I called her and I said, listen, I, I, I put my brush in your car. I couldn't find yours, but you have mine. And her response was, I didn't want you to do that. Won't you need that for yourself? And I said, it doesn't matter. You needed it. I had it. You've got it. I did real good that morning. (laughs) I'll be completely honest. There are a lot of times where I am totally selfish. Totally selfish. Because I got selfishness inside of me. But I know that when it comes to love, I'm not called to selfishness. I'm called to be genuine. I need to be willing to listen to others, to give my time and energy to help, to love regardless of whether that love is returned back to me or not. And when this type of love is practiced, I know that others will notice the difference because it's different from what the world normally shows. The second thing I see is our authentic life makes wise choices. Here's what, here's what he says. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Now, I know I've used this thing before in the past, but I think it, belt, it talks uh, good about talking about choices. I was using this the other night to uh, talk to my grandson and granddaughter. I was telling them about wise choices, and I talked to them about the monkey trap. They were interested in it because I used the word monkey in it. Okay, so, so here's the deal. What they use, they use coconuts like this to trap monkeys in Africa. They will drill a hole in the coconut the size of a monkey's hand to fit in there. They'll attach the other end of the coconut with a chain to a tree or a stick in the ground that they drive in. And then they'll put something inside the coconut, whether it's some food or something shiny. And then the, the hunter of monkeys will walk off and hide himself and wait for the monkey to come. Monkeys are curious creatures. They'll approach the coconut, they'll pick it up, they'll shake it, they'll look inside. And when they see the thing inside there that they, that they want, they'll stick their hand in and grab a hold of it. And once that monkey grabs a hold of whatever's inside, the monkey is trapped. Because you see, the monkey can't pull his fist out of the hole now. It's, it's wide enough for him to fit his hand in, but not his fist out. 
And I've watched them on YouTube where the hunter will come up with a, with a net and the monkey's sitting there frantically trying to pull his hand out of the coconut. And he can't do it because he's refusing to let go of what's inside. All he'd have to do would be let it go and flip his hand. I'd be fine. But the hunter walks up, throws the net over the monkey, and the monkey is captured. Now here's the deal, guys. The authentic life shows itself by what it chooses to hold on to. And here's what Paul says. He said, we need to abhor or have a horrifying view of what is evil. When we see something, we need to be, we need to be horrified by it, and we need to cling to what is good. So let's go to evil, first of all. I believe that evil has a certain stink to it. Okay, And I think that when we're discerning, we can smell it coming. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever found something strange lurking in the back of your refrigerator? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's been in that Tupperware container for a couple of months, or you notice that unique aroma coming from the uh, vegetable drawer, and you know what I mean. When you investigate that item, you find an object that has a whole lot more hair on it than I do on my head, right? right? Or you find that that liquefied, non-discernible lump of mystery there, right? Now, what do you do with that stuff? You don't, you don't introduce it into your food chain, do you? Heavens, no, no. Safe to say we throw it away, we get rid of it because it's horrible. It's horrible. Paul's saying that's the way we ought to be, we ought to feel toward things that are evil. That same disgusting type of, ooh, cringing and running from it. You see, I believe when we, when we choose to follow Jesus, we, we cling to what is good. And again, it's discernible. Uh, I was in Kansas City the past three days. I walked into a barbecue joint. It's got an aroma all its own, doesn't it? Oh, it's good stuff. How about, how about warm baking cookies? Huh? Have a discernible smell? How about hamburgers cooking over a grill? Anybody getting hungry? Here's the deal. Good has an aroma too. And when we are following Jesus, it's why it's so important to spend time with Jesus each day. When we talk to him, we ask him for guidance, it'll become very evident very quickly what we're around. And we won't get trapped by the evil. We can cling to what's good instead. See, we need, we need to have discernment when it comes to making choices. We make choices all the time. I've got an opportunity this next week coming. I'm going to talk with a church pastor who has uh, gathered a group of people together in central Illinois, and they want to start a church down where they're at. And he's asked Ignite to help them, which is the organization I lead. And we've been praying for God to surprise us, to bring things to us that uh, we weren't expecting, opportunities to start churches. And so we, we always try to lean in with the yes. But I don't know for sure what the motivation is behind the, the church. Because I know some of these folks are coming from another church. So I'm meeting with them on Tuesday, and I've been praying for wisdom on how to, on to, whether to be, how to be discerning for what's coming, because wrong motives for starting a church will not lead to long-term health and not create a healthy church family. And I believe there's a certain stink to wrong motives. And so I'm just praying on, on Tuesday so that I get a good sniffer, right? Okay? No, is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? And if it's going to be bad, we're going to run, and if it's going to be good, we're going to run toward and help. See, the authentic life shows itself by what it chooses to grasp hold of, evil or good. And we choose wisely 
if we want to pursue good. The third thing we see is we get to choose to live selflessly in the authentic life. This distinctive is what makes the follower of Jesus stand out very clearly to others. Honor one another above yourselves, or another way of putting it, be willing to play second fiddle. First thing I see in this phrase is the fact that there is a competition taking place. And we usually think about competing with other people, other, other opportunities. But the word honor, honor does carry the idea of outdoing others, but it's called about outdoing others in the giving of honor to others. The competition is not with other people. The competition takes place right in here when it comes to trying to treat others well. If I want to live all out, I need to be, need to be eager to honor others, to lift others up, to point to the accomplishments of others. It's hard to do. Now, I told you earlier, I'm, I'm a selfish person. I, I really am. I want to be recognized. I want to be known. I want to be valued and honored. And you know why? Because of ego. There's nothing pure or commendable about this at all. I'm just being honest with you. I battle. I battle this. I was at a conference in Orlando the 1st of October, I happened to be sitting next to a church, to a person who leads a large church planting organization, a national one. He was eating breakfast with another guy, and I heard him talking about church planting plans. And, and the director of the other organization talked about goals for starting 1,000 churches in the next couple of years. And I'm thinking, what difference does what I do make at all? We start one to two to three churches a year. I mean, what, what difference is that making? Well, that afternoon, a speaker at the place talked about the danger of comparison and playing the comparison game. His challenge was not to be concerned about what the other runners in the race are doing. He said, you really need to run in the race and run in the lane that God has placed you in. Because when you're running in other people's lanes, you're trying to run races that aren't your races. He said, your responsibility is to run the race in the lane you've been given. And I'll tell you what, it made all the difference in the world to me. It, it came at just the right time for me. And it helped. It helped. I'll tell you what, giving honor to someone else is really difficult in an environment of selfishness. And that's why I appreciated the opportunity God brought to me about a week later, a week after that, that conference in Orlando. I was in a think tank about the future of the church in Wheaton. I found myself sitting at a, at a table with a representative from that church planning organization I was just telling you about. And the leader of the think tank asked us to get together with another person at our table to pray for each other. And you know who I was part, paired with, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. With that guy. And it was like at that, that moment, I got the one of those nudges say, here's your opportunity. And so I started off with this. I said, Craig, I, I've got to admit that I've been envious at times of you guys envious of what you're doing, I've, and I've, I've complained about what you guys are doing at different times, and that's not right. And I said, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that, but I want to thank you for all you and your organization is doing to start churches across the, the country and across the world. You're going to have a great impact for the kingdom of Jesus. And he looked at me, and he said, you're welcome. Now, I just did what I did what I did because I knew I had to do it for me. I knew what Jesus wants me to do. And what I understand is that the more I'm willing to, uh, to put this into action in my life, 
the closer to Jesus, I'm going to grow. Oh, guys, I've got a long way to go. I've got a long way to go. But, but when I get things like that right, when I connect and I listen and I do, I get to grow a little bit more. And all of us can do that. All of us can. What does it look like? How do we put this third characteristic into practice? Well, how about looking for things to compliment and to celebrate in other people's lives? How about honoring people who have done things of, of worthy nature around us? How about instead of, of running others down or saying, speaking behind people's back, which I've been guilty of that, how about we just lift them up with our words and bless them? Or how about just looking for tangible actions that can focus on what somebody else on who somebody else is and uh, put it into practice? See, the all-out life has these three characteristics in it. They're very distinct. And it's the life that Jesus challenges his followers to live. We'll never make this happen with our own strength, though, under our own, our own will. But when we commit to following Jesus and not pushing ourselves forward incrementally, step by step, we can put things into practice that will make us very distinctive and help others know that the life we're living is the real life and Jesus is real. So I've got a challenge, a couple of challenges for you to do in the week ahead. First of all, we can't do this on our own. My challenge is fuel up, fuel up. Hey, practice the 15-minute rule. We've talked about this before. Hey, read your Bible for five minutes or listen to it for five minutes, whatever, whatever you'd like to do. I'd start in the Gospel of Mark, read for five minutes, think about what you've read for five minutes, and then just talk to God about putting something into practice for five minutes. Just see what happens, see what happens. I, I know I'm only as strong as my connection, but I love it when I'm connected. Uh, secondly, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to step toward all out. Choose one of these three areas to take a step forward in the week ahead. Maybe it's showing selfless love to someone or, or honoring someone who deserves notice or running away from evil or clinging to what is good. I don't know what it is, but, but I encourage you to take one step in one area and just see what happens. And, and lastly, uh, keep your eyes open for opportunities because there are going to be multiple opportunities ahead of you to be selfish in the week ahead. I know, I, I know, I know me. So my encouragement would be to make one decision to choose selflessness towards somebody. And it happens when we're tuned into the voice of Jesus, listening to the Spirit, He'll direct us. And so my encouragement is just to practice awareness and choose that selfless in one time because people need to see Jesus lived out and we get to show people that we not only believe he's real, but we're following him. He's making a difference here. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your patience with me. I thank you for the way you, you love me. And I thank you for the way you love everybody here. It doesn't matter where we've been. It doesn't matter what we've done. You love us. So thank you for that. Father, help us to show that selfless love to someone this week. So open our eyes and then give us, uh, give us feet that are courageous to walk into the opportunities. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.